0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio.
1: Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW, and this week on the Midtown Business Radio Show, sat down with friend of the studio and CEO of Now Count, Laura Hodson. She came by and covered soup to nuts how to do business with the government. Did you know that the federal government has billions of dollars set aside for the small business community who step up and fulfill contract needs for a wide array of products and services? Laura covers how to get ready to register, where to go to do that, where to find information about the types of contracts that are available and the size of them and the resources that are available to support you should you engage in government contracting. Here's Laura talking about it. Check it out.
2: Why would you even want to contract with the federal government? And, you know, a lot of people were sort of nodding their head because when you say working with the federal government, you have in mind all of this paperwork and bureaucracy and is even worth my time as a small business to take that on. And she showed this great slide. It had a big piece of cheese on it. And she said basically that the federal government contracts out 400 to $500 billion a year and 23% of that goes to small businesses. So that's like a quarter, right? That's about $100 billion a year of work that's out there available for small business, but only one to one and a half percent of small businesses are even registered to do business with the federal government. So think of all that cheese that nobody's eating. I've always thought of government contracting as being more focused on you know engineering type companies or technical type right. companies but as she described the range of things that they contract with whether that's you know through the defense department or whether it's through the largest contractor which is GSA it was really everything i mean it was everything from communications marketing staffing companies you know cleaning services basic office supplies And so when you think about it, I think there are lots of small businesses out there that may have never thought that their product Mm -hmm. or service would be something that a federal agency would make use of.
1: I also sat down with three individuals who are serving our community in a very special way. Did you know there are over 11,000 children in foster care in Georgia today? I sure didn't. And just like us in the adult population, many of these kids face developmental challenges and mental illnesses that need treatment and care. Tom Russell and Lori Brickman came by to talk about Creative Community Services and the role this nonprofit plays in helping these children find foster families and mentors who can give them safe and caring environments. They brought with them Pat Strode, the program administrator for the Georgia Chapter of National Alliance for Mental Illness, or NAMI. This organization raises awareness and provides support for those who are living with mental illness, helping identify identify those in need, and linking them up with appropriate care. These folks really need our help, whether it's just time, when if we volunteer at events that they're having, fundraisers they're putting on, or possibly acting as a mentor who can give these children hope and set them on a path to the kind of positive, rewarding life that every kid deserves check it out
3: creative community services actually started out 30 years ago our ceo sally buchanan was working with adults with disabilities we actually work with two areas of individuals one foster youth throughout the state of georgia and adults with disabilities as well intellectual and developmental disabilities what makes us unique is that we not only place children and adults in homes with home care providers and foster parents, but we provide, in addition, the ancillary therapeutic services. This could be psychological services, psychiatric, many are on medications. They all have mental health challenges as well as the challenge of being a foster child and an adult with a disability. We offer recreational activities, camp throughout the year, and services that are not necessarily state-funded, which is why we like to engage the community in helping us.
0: One issue that's special to my heart is these kids that need mentors. And what I mean by that, imagine exiting the foster care system at 18 and not having one positive adult involved in your life that's not paid to be involved in your life. And I've had kids sit there and tell me, you know, I don't have one person involved in my life that's not paid to be. So mentors are another need that we have. And that's a special kind of volunteer. It's different than a foster parent, but it's someone that thinks that they are willing to make a commitment to a youngster and see that through into their adult years. One in four
4: adults and one in 10 children will uh, annually be uh, diagnosed with a mental illness. And sometimes this is extremely difficult. Among our youth population, ages 15 to 24, unfortunately, suicide is now the second leading cause of death, Mm. um, up from um, the third leading cause of death just last year. And in terms of business, there is an excess of over $60 billion of lost productivity annually to businesses throughout this country. One of the things that we see is that, and I want to piggyback on what Tom has said, is love is an essential thing to bring to the table, but also the lack of judgment. You cannot assist these children, and adults for that matter, that have these disabilities if you come to the table with judgment, preconceived notions about what mental illness is, what to expect because you just don't know. Yeah. We find that the lack of information is often a barrier to getting people help that they need. But NAMI Georgia, in addition to our partners, we provide lots of information at no cost to communities to help them learn about mental illnesses, to help to learn what the resources are. We also provide advocacy both locally, legislatively, from all levels of government, county, state, and even federal government, to help improve the services and the quality of life for folks who have mental mental illness in our state.
1: Stick around. we got the full interview with Laura Hodson, Tom Russell, Lori Brickman, and Pat Strode coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your afternoon again today. We've got a full studio today, and I'm joined, as always, at least once a month by... <laughs> our friend, Laura Hodson from Now Account. Thanks for taking some time to sit in with us.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: From what I understand, you had something going on recently. You were at a big Small Business Administration event.
2: We did. We did. We hosted a fantastic event down in Valdosta, Georgia, with the Southeastern Federal Credit Union, the local chamber, and the SBA. And it was interesting because I learned a lot of things I didn't know. Not that I know everything, but I learned a lot. About how to do business with the federal government. Do tell, do tell. So um, we had a woman, Jennifer Tilden, from the SBA office come down, and she spoke about how small businesses can do a better job of contracting with the federal government.
1: Now, did they talk about some key areas where companies go awry when they're preparing to try and engage with the government contract of some kind?
2: They did. What was interesting, though, is she started out with, why would you even want to contract with the federal government? And, you know, a lot of people were sort of nodding their head because when you say, working with the federal government, you have in mind all of this paperwork and bureaucracy and is even worth my time as a small business to take that on, and she showed this great slide. It had a big piece of cheese on it, and she said basically that the federal government contracts out 400 to 500 billion dollars a year And 23% of that goes to small businesses. So that's like a quarter, right? That's about $100 billion a year of work that's out there available for small business. But only 1% to 1.5% of small businesses are even registered to do business with the federal government. So think of all that cheese that nobody's eating.
1: Well, I would love to eat some (laughs) of that cheese. Now, so are there particular sectors or services or products that the government would think about engaging with a small business to buy you
2: know I think that was one of the things that surprised me Um, I've always thought of government contracting as being more focused on you know engineering type companies or technical type companies but as she described the range of things that they contract with whether that's you know through the Defense Department or whether it's through the largest contractor which is GSA it was really everything I mean it was everything from communications marketing staffing companies, you know, cleaning services, basic office supplies. And so when you think about it, I think there are lots of small businesses out there that may have never thought that their product Mm -hmm. or service would be something that a federal agency would make use of.
1: And so where do they go? There's got to be some sort of place where they can go and see... What the government is looking for, yeah. I would assume.
2: Well, and again, um, you know, something I didn't know—I knew that if you wanted to do work with the federal government, you needed to get a DUNS number or a D&B number. Okay. And I know when I first started my manufacturing company, and we were looking at doing some disaster relief work, um, you can go to the D&B website and register to get a number. But what you find when you Google that is all sorts of people are happy to charge you two hundred dollars <laughs> to get that number <laughs> for you. you. It's amazing. To D&B and That's right. Get
1: for next to nothing. Well, nothing.
2: it turns out you can get it for free. If the first thing you do is go to the Sam website and it's sam.gov. Okay, And that's the website you have to go to, to register your business, to do business with the federal government. If you go to that website first and you sign up for Sam and that perfect uncle Sam, you yeah. know, sign up for Sam. It's easy to remember. Then when you do that, you can also register for a DUNS number for free. So, see that? You just saved $200. That's
1: amazing. And what an awesome tip. Now... Are there certain requirements for your business in terms of structure, things you have to have in place before you go and try to register on the SAM site? Well,
2: when you go, I wrote it down. Uh, when you go to the SAM site, basically you have to put your company information in, obviously, you know, contact information. You have to put in what your NASIS codes are. So there's a whole library of codes that your business would fall into. Types so, of service and Types products. of services. Okay. Are you manufacturing? Mm-hmm. Are you professional services? Are you construction? So you you log in what codes codes cover sort of the range of of services that you do. Um, And then you also have to share the number of employees to show that, you know, you're a small business. Um, And then finally, there is a, it's called a CAGE code. I know that sounds kind of scary, C-A-G-E, but it's the code that they use for you to be able to get paid by the federal government and that takes about 10 to 14 days to get um, so that they can ACH money into your account which of course if you're going to do work we'd like that part yeah exactly
1: now is there a fee for registering your business to be able to do business?
2: There's not. And, okay. and it's interesting because the SBA folks are available to answer questions if you get into the application and aren't really sure what to do. Um, so there's help at, if, if you go to the SBA website, if you go to any of the small business development centers, which are all around Atlanta, um, primarily at college campuses like Kennesaw State, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, uh, Terry College. Um, so there's lots of places you can either call or walk in and they'll help you. But it seems to me to be a pretty easy step to, to go ahead and get your business registered yeah. for you know that big piece of cheese.
1: Are, are there any kind of certifications that you need to bring with you that, that you need to have in place prior to yeah. thinking about... Registering?
2: Well, again, I think this was one of the things that surprised me. You know, I'm a woman owned business, so I'm always sensitive to the types of things that you can do, particularly as a woman owned or veteran owned or minority owned business. What was interesting, though, is that also just being a small business helps. And so there's a whole list of certifications, many of which you self certify, meaning you certify yourself that uh, yes I hey promise. i'm a woman yes <laughs> I, I, exactly. <laughs> i'm exactly on my honor i do promise um and so but for many of us, there's multiple certifications. So, of course, in my case, I would be a small business and I would be a certified right. woman in business um, because I have gone through the certification with WeBank. But you might go in and have one sort certif- you know, you might just say I'm a small business or you might be a small business. That's also a minority owned business. That's also a disabled veteran in business. And the more certifications you have, the better, because at, at the government, the contracting officer is trying to check as many boxes as possible. Sure, I just know that I have a lot of friends that are small business owners that would say, well, I'm not certified, so I wouldn't qualify to do business with the government. And that is not true.
1: As you're talking about, some of it may just be as simple as attesting that this right. is your situation or at right. least listing your numbers and so forth. Of course, I met you through the Georgia Minority Suppliers Development right. Council show, the Let's Talk Small Business show. And and so if you are a minority-owned business enterprise, uh, obviously you want to go through that process and, and get linked up yep. with them. And, and therefore, you're in that much better position to oh, be able absolutely. to take advantage of the opportunities yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, I mean,
2: about. some of the certifications are, are self-attesting, but to the extent you can get an official certification um, through a GMSDC or through a WeBank, Um, that, of course, is much stronger and and makes you a candidate for, for certain types of contracts as well, so...
1: Now I know that depending on the services, like I, I came from the staffing industry a while back, and when we would do work with government uh, installations like VA from yep. hospitals, for example, um, there was a bid process. Is that how it works in this case as well, or is it a little different for small business? Well,
2: I think it. I think it depends on the project. It depends on the agency as to whether you go through a bid process. Certain certifications and certain projects follow different processes, but you know, as I sat there and listen to Jennifer and, and we had a room full of about 50 business owners I think what most people walked away with is um, even if you'd never tried why not at least go ahead and register your business why not go on the SBA website see what projects are out there because there may be something that's either local at a you know local base near where your businesses um, or that's particularly um, well matched for your your business and service and the way she put it was it's sort of your keep the lights on contract meaning what a great opportunity to have sort of a stable contract that keeps the lights on at your business so that you can grow yeah and once you get one once you get one then you know that's a nice stable contract to have on top of which you could then go after other you know whether it's private business customers or other government agencies so um in terms of in terms of diversifying your business, which we talk about a lot, right. you know, it's it's not healthy to have one client or one type of client. You want to have lots of different types of clients for your business to grow, and it's one more type of client you may not have thought of.
1: I'm talking with Now Account CEO, Laura Hodson. known her for the past year or so, and she shared some awesome information over time about how your company can get access to capital a number of different ways, obviously one of theirs. Um, one of their core functions as a business is helping companies do just that, and we're talking about how the small business community can get themselves in position to be able to do business with the federal government and once I've gone on to the website and I apply yeah what's the process like from there do they let me know if that yes you qualify or no or I mean or how, do, how does that flow
2: so I mean once you fill out the information you you know whether you are now sort of actively listed or is it or a
1: fairly approved? Immediate?
2: Um, it depends on wh- how much, if you need more information, but mm-hmm. it can be pretty quick if you are prepared and have all the information to fill out to start. Um, once you get in the system, that just sort of gives you the right. You're now registered to do business with the government. You know, from there you can go to, there's a number of websites. Um, SBA has a website, SBA.gov um, SBDC there's also sba.gov/gc slash which stands for general contracting and some of these sites you can go to and just see examples of what projects are are out there um you know there's there's also a website called sellingtothegovernment.net and mm. again there's ways that you can go in and search some prime contractors that might be hiring subcontractors you can search the contracts that are being directly let from the government um But like I said, it was just, it was so interesting. I thought, I've got to come back and share this with more people (laughs) because there's all these opportunities out there that I just, I I think a lot of small businesses don't think of.
1: Yeah. And and I think that this type of information is great. I was just talking recently with a minority business owner and they were not aware of GMSDC. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's really nice to be able to share that kind of information with a business to be able to help them, you know, move forward that much more confidently and with a greater degree of success when they get access to stuff like this. Well, and
2: the, the reason we did the event with SBA is, you know, Jennifer really spent the time talking about how do you find out about these projects? How do you register your business? How do you access the projects? And then I spent time talking about now that you have the contract, now that you have the cheese, what do you do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because at the same time you might get this great contract, but you may not get paid for 30, 60, or 90 days. So how do you, mm-hmm. how does this contract help you keep the lights on as opposed yes. to turn the lights out? Yep. Um, and so that's really where we focus with now account is once you get that contract helping you get paid immediately so you don't have to wait
1: does the does the federal government i mean how it, w- in Your experience, if you've done business with them in the past or know people who have, I mean, what's the typical pay pattern for a federal contractor? Well, you've seen? you
2: know, unfortunately, the typical pay pattern for just about any business to uh, business project these days is any, it's certainly more than 30 days. In many cases, it's 60, 90, or there are even people going to net 120, which I still laugh. I think that's consignment, but mm-hmm. but that's what it feels like for the small sure. business yeah. <laughs> that someday I might get paid. Um, and so, I think that's that's a trend that is continuing, whether it's with the government, whether it's with a large corporation, whether it's with another medium or small business is people don't tend to pay right when you deliver the good or service. Mm -hmm. Um, they tend to, to like to wait 60, 90 days to pay you.
1: I would suspect that if, if that's the case, if my payer is coming with my funds, 90 to a hundred days out that two and a half percent, to pay that to pay a fee of two and a half percent to be able to get access to that in three or five days obviously begins to make sense because you're losing the value of that money over that period of time
2: oh absolutely i mean when i talk to small businesses my question is always would you take a credit card because if you took a Mm -hmm. credit card and got paid you'd pay anywhere from two and a half to four and a half percent um, what most people do is they go out and get lines of credit they layer a bunch of debt on their business and that's even more expensive uh, way to fund that that float of waiting 60 or 90 days so
1: now when you're looking at the different contract options that are out there are you able to get a sense of its size do you you see what I'm saying I mean you, you couldn't you end up getting, you know, like drinking out of a fire hydrant if you're not careful?
2: (laughs) You can. And I think that's where, you know, most small businesses, um, very often hold back because they're afraid to take that big contract. And, you know, certainly there's an element of crawl, walk, run that you don't want to just go out and, you know, take on a huge contract that you can't deliver on. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, doesn't help your reputation much. But I think what most businesses do is they might start out with a, you know, a smaller contract, maybe it's 150,000, maybe it's 500,000, and then once you start to deliver on that, you'd like to grow it. And that's really where most businesses get into trouble is they start to grow to death, which is taking on that larger customer, that larger contract and then realizing that the way it worked funding it with the smaller contract doesn't work so well when there's an extra zero.
1: <laughs> that's right. When you're waiting for that Giant hard to swallow payment.
2: the extra zero <laughs> right
1: that's right and so there is information there. you do know roughly the size of the deal that you're looking you at when you, you do when you buy for it
2: and and in many cases for small businesses they're probably not directly contracting with the federal government they're probably a subcontract to a prime and if you look at the contracts that are put out if it's more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars that the government puts out to it to a prime then they have to do Um, their best effort to subcontract with small businesses. If it's more than 650,000 or in the case of construction, more than a million, then they're required to subcontract with small businesses. And so very often the best way to get started as a small business is to find one of those primes that has the bigger contract and come in and take one small piece of it. And then that allows you to get some experience under your belt to deliver on a smaller piece of that larger Cheese opportunity and then grow as, as your business grows.
1: So if I want to get some assistance as I go through the process, obviously you've Mm -hmm. given some really great step-by-step kind of information here that someone could follow after listening to the show to be able to get information. But if I contact like the SBA, Mm -hmm. are are there folks there? Is there a particular type of person I need to ask for if I call like the SBA to say, hey, I'm interested in doing this? Would would they help you?
2: Well, I think, you know, one of the greatest resources is certainly the SBDCs, which are the Small Business Development Centers. Mm -hmm. And if you go to SBA's website, it's SBDCs bagovernor sbdc you can see where that they're all over the country um, but even here in Atlanta there's probably six or eight that I've been involved with uh, those centers are fantastic there's no fee to use them uh, they do have physical locations so you can actually walk in and sit face to face with someone if you like but of course they're happy to help you on the phone as well um, you know the other thing you can always do is ask for one of the small business liaisons uh, that can help you with your particular Solution.
1: I mean, do you have some advice beyond what we've talked about here that might be useful for, for folks as they're positioning? Have you done federal kind of contracts yourself? I have.
2: I have. Um, in the past, both on the service side and the product side. And I think, you know, the, the hardest thing is getting started. It seems so big and so scary. Um, and you certainly can't eat an elephant in one bite. And so most of us sort of look at that and say, oh, federal government, it's just too complicated. I'll wait till I get bigger to even deal with that. Uh, But I think starting earlier is good because you can at least start to do the research. You can start to look at the process of getting yourself registered in SAM. You have to update it every year. So it's good to go ahead and get your information in so that you can sort of keep it updated, even if you're not ready Mm -hmm. to go after a contract yet. Mm -hmm. It gives you good practice to get in there. And then, you know, really start attending some of SBA's business expos or conferences. You mentioned, you know, GMSDC. Uh, we bank i mean a lot of those folks have very good educational programs um, i know there's a mentor protege program through gmsdc that all of which are designed to help people sort of tool their business before they go out and get that contract so you know there's lots of resources out there to sort of get your workout in before you're ready to jump in the game
1: now when it came to the staffing side of things the 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 request for proposals that that they had to complete. I mean, they were pretty lengthy, Mm -hmm. drawn-out documents. I mean, is it pretty much like that for each area, or is it simpler in some other spots?
2: Well, it is the government, so simple is not the word that would usually come to mind. Um, But I do think that, here again, that's where working through a prime, if you're a small business... Subcontracting with a prime is much easier because the prime is the one who is filling out the, you know, the detailed documentation. And as they do that, they have to check the box to show that they're, you know, leveraging small businesses. So, you know, a good way to start is to again sort of be a subcontractor to a prime contract sort of learn the ropes learn how the project works and and work with them i mean learn about the paperwork that they're having to fill out um i know i had worked at one point as a sub but then as i got to know that prime i became more and more knowledgeable about the process they were going through and got to a point where i could decide if i wanted to step in in more of a prime situation or whether i wanted to you know stay as a sub
1: and on the resources like the web-based resources that are talking about the various opportunities that are available you'll know then also In addition to the size of the contract, but you'll also know that it's either contracting straight with the government as a primary contractor or it's a subcontracting opportunity. And SBA
2: has a whole database on primes, so you can just look for that, too.
1: And so the the prime contractors then will throw out information as well. I guess just like what we're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely,
2: because they're as they're responding to the bid to the government, they have to show that they have let small businesses know about the roles and opportunities that are available. So, um, you know, they'll have almost little mini RFPs or or at least criteria that they're looking for.
1: Now we've been talking about doing business with the federal government with Laura Hodson of now account but one of the shows that we did a few months ago we talked about doing business with um, disadvantaged business on enterprises doing work with say MARTA for example right. now mm-hmm. how does that compare it's not the federal government yeah. I guess but it's a government agency Absolutely. is it a similar process if they want to try to look into all those types of opportunities
2: well and it's funny you brought that up because one of the things we talked about because of the success of this event focused on federal contracting yeah. is doing a similar event here in Atlanta, you know, partnering with Invest Atlanta and some of the local development authorities, some of the local contracting agencies to kind of lay out what is the difference between contracting with the federal government versus the state government like GDOT, um, you know, versus a local agency or government. And so we're working on that. Each one has different requirements, obviously. Um, Each one has different bid processes, and in some you have to register separately to, you know, qualify to do business with MARTA or GDOT versus, you know, the city of Atlanta versus the federal government. Um, But certainly once you've done one, you'll get a little more comfortable with each of the others.
1: And... Do the contracts that you run into as a small business do they vary in length or are they all mm-hmm. typically cuz what I was just used to seeing was 3 to 3 months to a year seem like for the staffing industry Yeah. It more. really de-
2: it really depends. I mean, some people provide a, a product, right? So it's not an ongoing project, it's actually selling a good that could be, you know, an ongoing recurring order, it could be a one-time delivery of a special you know, material or device. Um, On the service side where you've got staffing companies or consulting companies, et cetera, um, you know, those tend to be very project-based. So it could be three months, could be six months, could be um, an ongoing service that that agency decides, you know, to engage you for. So.
1: And then, of course, obviously, um, where can they go to get information about, now account. I know I've got a banner on the web, on the Midtown right, Business absolutely. Radio show. Any other places that they can get more information? I guess the landing page that we have. Yep. Has a lot I of mean, the best thing to do
2: it. is to go to the the radio show's website and go to that landing page. If you forget, you know, if you forget how to find it, you can always go to nowaccount.com and let us know that you heard about us through the radio show.
1: Because the process is very simple to be t- able to determine if your solution yep. is one that works for them. Because there's no credit. It's just a, this That's is my right. business. This is my contact information at the business. I mean, it's a very simple process. Well,
2: the amazing thing about now account is it's not a loan. So when you use your now account, there's no debt, there's no liability. It's no different than taking a credit card for payment and you can sign up in less than two minutes. You go online and basically give us your business name, business address, the state you're organized in the year you were started and the type of entity. Like, are you a LLC or a, you know, a sole proprietorship? Um, That's it. And you get an email back saying whether you qualify or not and, you know, You've got a couple papers to sign and fax back in, but essentially you can be up and running in a couple weeks and you can accelerate your revenue in a way that doesn't burden your company with debt.
1: And that's the cool just thing. your revenue. You can, you can just say this particular account, that's, right. that, that's the difference with yep. some of the other things like factoring and other, other different types right. of capital resources is I can say, I just want to put this particular account in. And I don't have to commit it to a year or some right. period of time. It's just for however yep. long it makes sense for the business. It's
2: it's not alone. It's not factoring. You pick and choose which clients to put on it. Um... And it works as long as it's business to business or business to government. It can be for-profit, non-profit, anyone who's invoicing another entity that's not a Social Security number.
1: (laughs) So, so, I mean, the cool thing here is we're talking about the fact that you have great opportunities as a small business owner, particularly if you've gone through the process of getting certified, uh, if you qualify to be minority-owned, business-disadvantaged, business-enterprise, whatever the case may be. If you've gone through those steps, then you're clearly positioned in a good spot to be able to do business with the government. And... Knowing about companies like now account gives you the added security of being able to add that type of business to your diversity uh, of your revenue sources, because even if they do pay on the slow side, you've got a great way to basically more or less take it take a credit right. card. It's not a credit card, You'd but be it kind of like works a restaurant. like that. Yeah. You know, when
2: I go to lunch, they get paid that day. They don't wait for me to pay my Amex bill. Um, but the other thing, you know, you asked about some of the other uh, opportunities with the state, et cetera. There's a couple of great events coming up that we should let listeners know about. Um, actually, tomorrow and Thursday, if you're into real-time scheduling, uh, <laughs> GDOT is hosting their DBE Supplier Conference, and it's in at the Douglasville Co- Conference Center. Um, So that's a great one if you have any interest in doing work with the Department of of Transportation here in Georgia. Um, And then later in September, September 22nd, in the morning, right here in Atlantic Station, um, the Georgia Manufacturers Alliance is hosting an event called uh, Manufacturing a Better Bottom Line. So if you happen to be in the manufacturing space or service companies that are manufacturers, um, that's a great Group to become aligned with and and hear about all the great manufacturing that's going on in Georgia.
1: That's cool. Now I was going to ask you before we uh, talk to the folks um, that are with us in the studio, in addition to you, but uh, when you're doing these types of government contracts, is there a pretty significant rate of discount over what you would normally sell your products and services for, or is it pretty close to what you would retail it for? Yeah, if you, will? you
2: know, I didn't find that in my experience. I think it was pretty close to what I retailed it at. Um, you know, in, in most cases, as long as you're pricing your product or service at a fair price, um, I think you have a pretty good shot.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I was kind of, I, I never did get to take part other than seeing the documentation, so I didn't really take part in the government You got lost pricing. in the
2: documents. I, I,
1: well, yeah, I, they had a team for that. <laughs> that's so right, that, uh, that's right. Fortunately for me, I didn't that's have That's what to guards the it. cheese. I kind, I kind of wish I had gone through it now to lo- <laughs> learn a little bit more about it so that I could be uh, more able to help people, you know, position themselves, but I'm glad to be bringing this kind of information out. Any final thoughts before we jump over and talk to these other folks?
2: No, I mean, I just think I I tell people all the time, small businesses are not miniature large businesses. They really are unique in the way that they think. Um, They're probably the scrappiest people I know. Um, And so, you know, all too often we get so focused on the day to day, what we're trying to do that we miss some of these bigger opportunities because they're a little intimidating. Um, And I would just say, you know, go for it.
1: Well, I really enjoy having Laura Hudson with us here in the studio. When she comes, she's always sharing information that's going to help your business grow. That's a big thing that we're all about is making business work more efficiently, more productively and obviously more profitably for the folks who tune in and for the folks who come and be a part of our show. So thanks so much. Absolutely. And like I say, we were talking earlier, if you want more information about Now Account, just when you're on the show's page, checking out the podcast, on the left-hand side, there's a banner down there and if you uh, just scroll to that, it'll take you over to a really nice piece of information um get a lot of your questions answered right there of course you can also reach out to them and they'll be That's happy right. to uh, answer questions for you but it's a real simple process and coming up next um we've been uh, i've I've, over time, gotten to know Vivian Rodriguez over at the Georgia Minority Suppliers Development Council, and uh, she introduced me to the the folks that were coming on with us today, the Creative Community Services folks, and uh, they're a, a group that is a not-for-profit that helps uh, adults and their families that are dealing with uh, emotional and um, uh, developmental disabilities and uh, providing support opportunities for them, so I'm really happy to have you all here. It sounds like you have something coming up in September where you're going to be Uh, doing a nice fundraiser so I'm pleased to help people get to know a little bit about what you're doing
3: thank you for having us
1: well, um, you spoke up first, Lori, so uh, <laughs> introduce folks to what you're, what you're doing at CCS.
3: Creative Community Services actually started out 30 years ago, our CEO, Sally Buchanan, was working with adults with disabilities. We actually work with two areas of individuals. One, foster youth throughout the state of Georgia and adults with disabilities as well, intellectual and developmental disabilities. What makes us unique is that we not only place children and adults in homes with home care providers and foster parents, but we provide, in addition, the ancillary therapeutic services. This could be psychological services, psychiatric, many are on medications. They all have mental health challenges, as well as the challenge of being a foster child and an adult with a disability. We offer recreational activities, camp throughout the year, and services that are not necessarily state-funded, which is why we like to engage the community in helping us.
1: Now, with with uh, the organization now is it a is a, it's not a state organization
3: no it is a nonprofit
1: and now so does the state do some measure of that as well or or no because I'm not really ve- very well versed as far as the the foster care world Tom how, is how our works. director
3: of programming and I'd love to turn it over to him and also to say that I didn't know here today I also volunteer with the National Alliance of Mental Illness so Pat Strode is here to talk about that oh, great, but we great. can talk to Tom first who is our director
0: One way to describe that is uh, in each state, there is a large number of youth that are in the foster care system. And each state, to some extent, privatizes a lot of those services. Okay, I didn't realize that piece. Contracts with private providers, in our case, a private nonprofit provider, uh, to provide those array of services. In Georgia, there's 11,000 plus youngsters man in foster care and the population within that population that we work with are those foster care youth who need specialized mental health services and we provide that through therapeutic foster homes where we recruit and train specialized foster parents that have some understanding of the mental health needs of our youngsters. And we have uh, staff that work with those foster parents on a daily basis to meet the needs of those youngsters socially, emotionally, academically. All the needs that any youngster have has our youth have also.
1: I can only imagine. I, you know, when when I see the, uh, well, I don't remember which newscast does the Wednesdays child thing, maybe Fox, yeah. but um, they talk about, uh, you know, children that are in foster care that are looking for an adoption, and they have all range of ages, of course, and and it just every time I see that story, it's. I can't imagine the experience that it must, must be how challenging it must be for those kids. And, and uh, can you talk about, I mean, what, what's the array of situations that puts those kids into that, into that place?
0: Well, all of the youngsters in the foster care system, and particularly the ones in therapeutic foster care, are youth that for one reason or the other have had to be removed from their families. No matter how abusive the situation is, probably one of the most traumatic events a youngster will ever experience.
1: Is being removed from their family.
0: It's gotta be really scary. The youngsters that we often see, if there's such a thing as typical in there really isn't, but let's say it's not unusual to have a youngster that's twelve, thirteen years old and may have been in fourteen out of home placements by the time they get to us. So whatever the initial trauma was for removing that child, that may have been abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, it may have been as a result of drug abuse going on with the parents, whatever that initial trauma was, every time a youth gets moved in the system, you've re-traumatized that child sitting in front of one of these kids and saying, you know, you're now somewhere where you can trust. Hmm. As I say, these kids have PhDs in survival,
1: I was going to say, I would imagine that's met with a measure of skepticism at this point It is in a
0: healthy (laughs) degree of skepticism. And what I mean by that, it's often those kinds of skills that have helped them survive 14 placements and you're not going to connect with that youngster in a way that they can let go of some of those survival skills until they really know that you're there. So these youngsters are are challenging because they have significant behavioral and emotional needs. And we're recruiting foster parents who have a specialized interest in working with kids with these unique kinds of issues. And it's hard Work.
1: i was going to say that just volunteering to step up as a foster parent if if everything with the child in question or children in question is perfect and they they were simply you know a child who was abused or maybe they lost their parent to whatever reason that would be difficult just because it's a person that's outside your family that you're trying to incorporate into your family environment so that has got to be difficult but now when we add a layer of Extra difficulty where the individual has some advanced needs for additional care, whether it's you know different types of therapy or whatever the case may be. I can only imagine how tough that's got to be. So how how do you what do you look for in that family? I mean, what do they what do they need to bring to the table to make themselves be suitable and and effective, you know, in a good place for that kid to be? I smile.
0: I smile when you say that. Yeah, because. First and foremost is love. You've got to love these kids. Yeah. And you've got to love believing that you can do whatever you need to do to reach them. We can train. We can provide education. We can provide skills. But unless you have that, that caring, loving commitment, which requires a lot of patience, it's probably not the work for you to do. Mm-hmm. But we do find families that are willing to do that. But we also find volunteers that are willing to help the organization in other ways, by being volunteers for special events. We're a, we're a 501c3, we're, we're a nonprofit organization, we're fundraising to supplement what the state services may pay. Our cost always exceeds whatever that reimbursement is. But. One issue that's special to my heart is these kids that need mentors. And what I mean by that, imagine exiting the foster care system at 18 and not having one positive adult involved in your life that's not paid to be involved in your life. And I've had kids sit there and tell me, you know, I don't have one person involved in my life that's not paid to be. So mentors are another need that we have. And that's a special kind of volunteer. It's different than a foster parent, but it's someone that thinks that they are willing to make a commitment to a youngster and see that through into their adult years.
3: I have a neat example, if I could interject. Last month, we had a very successful initial uh, program, and we called it a reality fair. We had it at the Civic Center, and we had approximately 250 of Georgia's foster youth attend. And we had over 80 volunteers from the community. And the reality fair was this. As Tom talked about, these youth, when they age out of the system at 21, they're on their own. They don't have mom and dad to to help them. Um, so mentors are important. At the fair in the morning, we had booths for the children who got a, an imitation paycheck and they had a career assigned to them. They went from booth to booth to learn how to pay for groceries, a vacation, clothes, whatnot. In the afternoon we had universities and colleges represented and we also had, which is why I bring this up, friends and professionals man booths and an example of how one person can make a difference my boyfriend's brother-in-law is a physician. He manned a booth. He's a neurologist. A young lady came up to the booth and said she wanted to be a doctor when she quote, grew up. Um, he spent close to an I get choked up. He, he spent close to an hour talking to her. and you know, these are the kinds of things where they could just leave and never see each other again. He reached out to her, she's connected with him, and you know what? By God, she will probably go to medical school. It just takes somebody taking a few minutes of your time and being genuine and available.
1: So what's the process if, I mean, for one, how do you find the families who are going to foster? And then we'll talk more about, because I'm curious about the mentor piece too. But, I mean, how do you find those families that, Maybe they don't know today before they find out about you. Maybe they don't know that they they want to be a foster. You know, I'm sure some people just seek you out. They just see one of those programs on the news or whatever the case, and they say, "Let's try this." But I mean, beyond that, how do you identify those families to become foster parents? And how do you? What's the process like to determine they would probably be suitable for a given child or
0: as as a foster family? Well, as you might guess, it's not a easy process, meaning it's not a short term process. And it shouldn't be because you're talking about recruiting families that are going to be working with some youngsters that have significant needs. Interestingly, Many of our foster parents became foster parents because of friends that were foster parents or because of friends that knew somebody that was involved with the foster mm-hmm. care A
3: youth. lot of word of mouth. I was going to say,
1: having some firsthand knowledge of what the experience is like, it probably would take some of the fear and apprehension out of it just by knowing a little bit more about what their experience is like.
0: Exactly.
3: One of our staff members, Tom Wright, she she's recruited many of our foster Uh, families just through church and word of mouth
0: churches uh places of work it's a nice partnership you're mentioning small businesses and i've been in this field for 40 something years most small businesses that are growing want to develop a partnership in the community that's one of the ways they can do that we can come in and talk to staff about Here are ways you can become involved in a need in the community and fill a void. But if someone's really interested in exploring that idea, we'll guide them through the process. All they need to do is give us a call. Uh, We'll explain to them what opportunities are there. Somebody or some family that's really interested in saying, well, you know, I, I, I know enough now to know I want to begin this process. They're going to do a number of things. There's going to be a home study, but there's also going to be a background check. Um, there's going to be references there's going to be training Um, you don't become that foster parent particularly for youth that have the special special needs that ours do without us trying to give you the tools and the, the knowledge you need so it's a process but we have many people that go through that process and we're very fortunate we have some foster parents that have been with us from the very beginning And Creative Community Services was the first therapeutic foster care program in Georgia.
1: And and then there's a distinction between being a foster parent and an adoptive parent, obviously. Yes,
3: correct. One, of course, temporary, and
0: the other I mean, how long can
1: that relationship tend to last?
0: The foster-parent relationship? Unfortunately, it can be a long time. And what I mean by that, we often will have youth that have been with us four, five, six, seven years because they haven't been adopted. And unfortunately in the foster care system, the longer you're in the foster care system, meaning the older you become, sometimes there's less likelihood of being adopted. And because of behavioral and emotional issues, they may not be able to transition into a regular foster home. So they may be with us for for a significant period of time.
1: We've been talking with Tom Russell, Pat Strode, and Lori Brickman and talking about creative community services, an organization that helps uh, – promote and facilitate the the foster care of children particularly those who are dealing with emotional and developmental uh, challenges in their in their life and learning about the opportunities that exist 11,000 children in foster care in our state I didn't realize it was nearly that size of a population and obviously we've been talking about children with special needs so where does that tie in pat with the the national alliance for mental illness and and how do you interact with this whole Uh, organization and the things that they were doing?
4: Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate the dialogue. This is a very important topic to me personally um, and to many others throughout the state one in four adults and one in ten children will uh, annually be uh, diagnosed with a mental illness and sometimes this is extremely difficult among our youth population ages 15 to 24 unfortunately suicide is now the second leading cause of death mm-hmm. um, up from um, the third leading cause of death just last year and in terms of business there is an excess of over sixty billion dollars of lost productivity annually to businesses throughout this country one of the things that we see is that and I want to piggyback on what Tom has said is love is an essential thing to bring to the table, but also the lack of judgment. You cannot assist these children and adults, for that matter, that have these disabilities if you come to the table with judgment, preconceived notions about what mental illness is, what to expect, because you just don't know. We find that the lack of information is often a barrier to getting people help that they need but NAMI Georgia, in addition to our partners, we provide lots of information at no cost to communities to help them learn about mental illnesses, to help to learn what the resources are. We also provide advocacy both locally legislatively from all levels of government, county, state and even federal government to help improve the services and the quality of life for folks who have mental illness in our state. NAMI Georgia is the largest advocacy organization of its kind um, and we do a lot of great work in the community to help educate people about services. Unfortunately. Uh, when we talk about children and adolescents, um, in our state, we don't do a very good job of providing resources and services for these kids. Mm-hmm. And so they, uh, end up, a lot of them, in DJJ custody. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, um, defects to DJJ pipeline is, is pretty hefty and when they turn 18 when we talk about transitioning well if you can imagine being in foster care for your entire life and then all of a sudden you're just thrown out there <sighs> and expected to navigate all alone that's almost impossible to do so a lot of our kids do end up in the justice system they right. do end up homeless they do end up victims they do end up being um um you know victims of of, of sexual exploitation right, they, and yeah, abuse right. And, and, it's, um, and, and it's everybody's role in the community, I feel, to make sure that our children are taken care of. It is also everybody's role to understand and learn about mental illness because everybody is touched in some way by somebody that has either depression and anxiety disorder, um, those of us who have self-service members in our families who have served uh, in, in the armed services, post-traumatic stress disorder, of, of course, is a big thing, but, but know that these children that Tom and Lori are talking about are also victims of post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And, um, and education is powerful. Oftentimes the only resource families know about is 911. Now although that is a good resource to have, there are other resources. If you're in crisis, there's another number. It's a state-funded number. It's 800-715-4225 and that is the Georgia Crisis and Access Line. They will come out to your house. And do an assessment and evaluation, and help to get your loved one, um, or yourself, if it's you that ex- that's experiencing the crisis, uh, the help you need immediately or um, long term.
1: We've been talking with program administrator for the National Alliance of Mental Illness, Pat Strode, and what what sorts of issues are we talking about when we you know we talk about developmental challenges and mental illness? I mean. Are the problems that we're talking about, I mean, PTSD is is clearly uh, going to be, I'm sure, a component for many, if not all of them, that have gone through these types of situations that led them into foster care. But, um, I mean, what's the trajectory for these people? I mean, you, you talked about going mm-hmm. to the juvenile you know, detention and things like that, but, I mean, can they – can they have a, a relatively normal life? I mean, I mean, what's the how, how do they get to that and what kind of resources are available for them to get, like, either medication if it's a chemical issue that's causing the problem or, or, or therapy? What, what What's available for those, those folks?
4: Well, I'm glad you asked that question uh, because recovery is possible. Um, first of all, let's let's. Um make the distinction between a developmental disability right. and a mental illness. Sure. A developmental disability is probably going to be long-term.
1: Right, yeah. You're and not, it you're is something that is, you to get better to yeah, a certain
4: point. Yeah, and there's no treatment for right, that. Right, However, mental illness, uh, there is treatment for that. Right. Mental illness does not affect uh, your your intellectual co- capabilities at all, um, provided you get some services and you get some yes. treatment. Um, one of the things that, that is important is that People get assessments. What we, what we recommend is when you start seeing behaviors that are maybe unpleasant, um, like isolation or you, your child or or your significant other is getting a little bit more aggressive. Um, If children are losing interest in the things they once enjoyed, like uh, being a part of a football team and the beta club or um, just hanging out with their friends, these are some things that you need to really pay attention to. If children are not wanting to go to school, there's probably a reason for that. It could be that the child is being bullied, it could be that the child is having separation anxieties, it could be a number of issues. So it's important, number one, to have a conversation. If your child doesn't want to go to school um, and you've noticed that they are you know staying in bed a little bit too long ask the child how they're feeling now kids are not able to often articulate what's yeah. going on with them some adults are not even able to but just asking how are you feeling um, have you been sleeping uh, how many hours have you been sleeping have you been eating just asking some general questions and then ask him is are you able to concentrate in school um, is it because your thoughts are raising it explain what that means And not just let the child say I'm fine and walk away because with kids, I'm fine usually means I need some help. Mm -hmm. And so just asking what does I'm fine mean, explain that to me and helping to guide those children through a conversation to help them um, get to the resources they need. We have private providers um families that have private insurance I would recommend going to a private provider if you have children um that are experiencing some symptoms certainly taking them to their pediatrician is a first step to make sure that you rule out everything else um and then if it is not something that's physical um, let me let me rephrase that if it's not an other physical illness because the brain is a part of our bodies yeah. and it gets sick just like uh, every other organ if it is that there is something other than other physical illnesses, if they've been ruled out, uh, we recommend that the pediatrician provide a recommendation or a referral to a, a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And uh, you need to really emphasize child and adolescent psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. There's someone who specializes yeah. in children. And for those of the listening audience who don't know a psychiatrist is really just a medical doctor who specializes in psychiatry they've gone through med school they've had to do the rounds just like any other physician
1: Mm -hmm. now as far as the the logistics of the the relationship if i'm if i'm a foster family and i have a child like what we're talking about here they've got some sort of mental illness that they're facing um what is the process like as far as you mentioned insurance, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how does how does that flow with regards to I'm, I'm now taking care of a foster child. Uh, I need to get them care, um, whether it's going to a pediatrician or to a psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever the case may be. What is, how does that work? I mean, does, does my insurance work with that in any form or fashion? I mean, just from a – how does it work?
0: Well, in Georgia, youngsters in the foster care system, once they come into the custody of the state, They're covered by Medicaid, which will assist, of course, with providing the services they need, be they mental health, physical health, both. Um, Some parents, some families from whom they may be removed may have other resources. The state may, defects when I say the state, may have access to accessing some of those resources. But none of the youngsters, once they come into the foster care system, are denied the kind of resources, the financial resources they're going to need to procure mental health and or physical services. May not provide the kind of coverage we would like to see it provide, but it does provide an infrastructure for us to begin getting those services to those youngsters. And the nonprofit community is a huge support for those services. It really is a partnership. And you know, I like to think of it and I've been doing this a long time. I'm also an adoptive parent. I like to think of this, you know, when a kid comes into custody, those are our kids. Yes. That's the state system. Yes. But those are our kids, ours, meaning mine, yours. We're all citizens here. I believe we have some responsibility to what extent we can, to try to be helpful because those youngsters are depending on us
3: and our paths cross Um, recently at a uh, NAMI Northside sponsored mental health fair which is every year in June open to the public free we not only had a panel of speakers um, and a luncheon but it was interesting to me and heartwarming to see the booths around us that were manned we had uh, the National Alliance of Mental Illness at a booth. Next to them, our booth for Creative Community Services. Next door, Tourette Syndrome Association. We also had the DeKalb County Mental Health Diversion Court uh, manning a booth. Um, We had the DeKalb uh, Behavioral Health, you know, all the different organizations. In the nonprofit world, and we're all trying to raise money, right? We're all trying to get the money that we need for the services that we want to provide to make this a better place. Uh, Yet we are not competing for dollars. We are partnering because our paths will cross. If there is a child that comes into our, uh, who calls us, and if this isn't the right place, we will refer out. So we're all in this together.
1: Well, real quickly, we've got just a few minutes left. I was wanting to follow up and ask you, you mentioned, you know, we all need to help. and, And if I'm not the individual that is in a place where I'm, logistically able or don't feel I'm made up to be able to be a foster parent for one of these children but maybe I want to harbor the opportunity to be a mentor how does that work what do I need to commit to
0: well for us if 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 you want to explore the process it's giving us a call and we will walk you through that process if it's not the right fit We're going to try to direct you to some other organization where what you believe you can volunteer will be put to use okay
3: and we always have events bowling with with the adults are going to the zoo holiday parties the list is endless we also have a wish list that's ongoing there are many ways that small businesses and individuals can help out you don't have to be an expert to love
1: okay um, and and I know that I don't know the date right off the top of my head but I know that coming up in September there's a fundraising event that you all are working on you want to talk about that real quick
3: there are actually two one okay. um, Pat will talk to to um, the NAMI walk, which is coming up, and we have a, a, an event as well, but go ahead, Pat.
4: Um, that is September the 26th. It's a Saturday in Grant Park. Um, this is our 14th year of doing the NAMI walks, um, and we'll be raising awareness, but also funds uh, to help um, provide more education around mental illness. Um, we have an, an array of partners that will be there, um, um, including uh, some of the police officers who have received at the crisis intervention team training that we provide to help them understand mental illness and recognize symptoms. Um, local providers, we have insurance companies that will be there. Um, we have um, events for pets. Um, this year we're really focusing on issues relative to our children um, because you know, we just need to raise the awareness and, and do more to educate families and communities around issues um, that our children are experiencing. I mean, gosh, I'm 60 and I cannot imagine having to go through some of the things our children are having to experience today when I was a kid. So yeah. it's a very fun event. It's a 5K. Um, we welcome all of you to come out and participate. It's It's just going to be lots and lots of fun. Um, You'll get to meet some fantastic people, uh, people that are living in recovery, people who support them, people who love them, and just people that want to make a difference um, and help um, our population of of family members and people that live in recovery with these illnesses. And you can create a team. Oh, yeah. You can create a (laughs) team. You can go to namiwalks.org slash Georgia and sign up for a team or just donate. Uh, We Uh, Don't turn down any amount of donation. All of it is relative and all of it is accepted.
1: And what about for the, if they want more information about the National Alliance of Mental Illness for the Georgia chapter, where do they go for that?
4: Um, They need to go to our website. It's NAMIGA.org and just search and reach out. We have affiliates that provide support and education throughout the state. And you can get connected uh, in your area to one of those
1: organizations. So N-A-M-I-G-A.org. And how about your event?
3: Well, um, our event is an um, invitation-invited event for our sponsors. We're actually doing a thank you event at a gallery coming up on September 10th. But we're also inviting people who may... Uh, have expressed an interest in helping as a volunteer. So I would encourage everyone who is interested in helping Creative Community Services to please contact me or call our office. But myself, I can list on the site, uh, and I would love to speak with you. In addition, I'm always happy as a board president to come speak to any business owner about how to get involved. Um, so our website, I imagine we'll be on the, that it's ccsgeorgia.org.
1: And Georgia spelled out in this case, ccsgeorgia.org. And make sure you link up with these folks. Learn more about it. Clearly, uh, a lot of folks out there needing help. Again, I'm just kind of blown away by the number of kids that are out there that are in need of support like this. So I'm really pleased to have had the opportunity to meet everyone here. Uh, Tom Russell, Pat Strode, and Lori Brickman from uh, the Creative Community Services. And then Nami, of course, talking about how they're they're supporting the folks with the mental illness needs. And of course, Thanks again to uh, Laura Hudson of Now Account for sharing some awesome information about how to do business with the government. Sure, sorry If you've not done so already, and you're checking out the podcast, go to the upper left-hand corner of the page. You'll see the Apple logo. You'll go over to the iTunes uh, Midtown Business Radio podcast site. Subscribe to us because you're going to meet awesome people like this on a weekly basis. And um, make sure you turn around and share this information because clearly this is one of those episodes that we want to get into the hands of as many people as we possibly can. You might just be the butterfly that starts the hurricane, so to speak, mm-hmm. and and puts help in the needs uh, in the hands of somebody that you care about that actually needs it so uh, to all the guests that took time out today we really appreciate you being here and uh, to the folks who took time to make us a part of your afternoon or whenever you may be checking out the podcast we really appreciate you as well make an appointment to see a same time same place next week we'll all see you then
3: thank you for having thank us thank you